This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Politics Weekly Extra. I'm Jonathan Friedland. It is nearly 10 months ago that I, along with people all over the world, switched on our TV sets to see some rather shocking scenes that had unfolded and were unfolding in real time in Washington, D.C. It was the storming of the Capitol. You remember that day, there were just 14 days left on the Trump presidency. This was the day where, with some ceremony, Joe Biden would have his election as president confirmed. There was a process to go through on Capitol Hill. Outside was Donald Trump and his supporters protesting what they called the steal. They wanted to stop the steal. And the, those people gathered at the rally, then turned and walked to Capitol Hill and stormed the building, breaking in, breaking down doors, breaking down windows, pushing and hurting police, and posing what seemed at the time a mortal threat to those within in their bid to overturn the verdict of the 2020 election. Well, it was called very soon an insurrection. There was an attempt to remove Donald Trump, even in his final days as president, over it. But in the months since, there has been an investigation trying to get to the very bottom of what happened and who is to blame. Well, this week, things have started hotting up a bit with this investigation, both in terms of who they want to speak to and who perhaps they are speaking to behind the scenes. We'll be getting into all of that with somebody who is following the committee's movements with great intensity. And that is someone who was there that day, someone who thought he was in fear of his life. And that is Congressman Eric Swalwell. Now, Eric Swalwell represents California's 15th congressional district. He's a Democrat and he was in the chamber, in the House, on that infamous day. He is so determined to hold Donald Trump to account for what happened that he has personally attempted to sue the former president and some of his aides in federal court for the crime of incitement, inciting the mob on that day. So I began my conversation with Eric Swalwell by asking him what he remembers of January the 6th, 2021. We heard the, the mob before we saw the mob um, and again on our phones we could see them you know breaching the different perimeters and then entering the capitol 
and, and about simultaneously, a security officer told us that we needed to take out our gas masks from underneath our chair uh, and to take them out and be ready to put them on uh, in case the mob came into the chamber and the police had to disperse uh, tear gas. Uh, now, the, the second part that was also alarming was that, you know, we were told, you know, to be prepared to duck in case there was gunfire coming into the chamber. And it kind of just escalated from, is this really happening to, oh shit, like we should actually start to think about our own security inside the chamber. I messaged my wife because I, I, I feared that, you know, I may not be able to ever message her again. And so I, you know, I sent her a note uh, that I love her and the kids and to hug them for me. And, you know, it's not a message you want to send ever. I didn't know if I was going to have another opportunity uh, to message her. Yeah, no, I can, I can hear in your voice. This was a, a traumatic event and it all happened so fast. I mean, just in, on the day, but also the timeline, because of course, the 6th of January was just 14 days left on the term of President Donald Trump. His presidency would end on the 20th. And you and your colleagues who uh, then got involved in fast tracking a second impeachment of Donald Trump on the grounds of incitement. And that went through the House. And obviously, it fell in the Senate where he was acquitted, just because you require a two thirds majority there. I know that you then decided, uh, along with others, to uh, to sue him for inciting the violence in, in, in your kind of a, a separate lawsuit rather than the impeachment procedure. Can you tell us what happened with that? Well, I, I deeply believe that he needs to be held accountable for inciting, assembling and aiming the mob at the Capitol, uh, as well as some of the others who you know, were kind of uh, co-inciters uh, with him uh, that day. It, it's early in the litigation, but after putting together the impeachment case in the Senate, I, I was convinced after reviewing hours of video footage, and it was quite clear to me that the president had foreknowledge that violence would occur, himself had incited it and stoked it and, and then dropped the match, of course, at the ellipse, and even implied that they had permission to do it because he was going to be with them uh, when he told the crowd, I'm going to the Capitol with you, uh, which again shows solidarity and I, I think conveys and projects to anyone in that mob that we can do it, we can do this because the president is physically and emotionally uh, with us. And, and so I was just convinced that he was, he was responsible. Donald Trump and his team, of course, d deny this that account of events and the notion that they were, or that he was directly involved in any kind of incitement. Nevertheless, the action has moved uh, away from uh, the initial uh, impeachment process and other actions to the work of a select committee, which is now there in Washington, D.C., but on Capitol Hill, trying to get to the bottom of those events of January 6th. Just explain to us uh, exactly who is on that committee and how they were chosen. Many questions regarding the circumstances of this assault on our democracy and the response to it remain. It is imperative that we seek the truth as to what happened. To do that, we believe that a bipartisan commission would be the best way 
to proceed in the spirit of patriotism and So, you know, it's a, a relatively small committee, uh, mostly made up of the relevant committee chairs in the, in the Congress. Uh, Benny Thompson, who chairs the Homeland Security Committee, uh, leads this uh, overall effort. Adam Schiff, uh, you know, who was the first impeachment manager, you know, lead manager, also on the committee. Zoe Lofgren, who oversees uh, the House Administration Committee, which oversees the Capitol Police and the Sergeant at Arms, also on the committee. And then uh, Jamie Raskin, who was the lead impeachment manager for the second impeachment, is on the committee. And then a, a few of my other colleagues who, because of their national security background, are on the committee. And, and you know, the whole effort is to understand what happened and make recommendations that would make sure that a day like that never happened uh, again. And, and to, you know, also really build out what we were not able to do in the Senate impeachment trial because of the, the pressures of time. We had witnesses who were going to tie us up in courts for years if we wanted to pursue their testimony. Well, the January 6th commission, they're not bound to the same constraints that we were. And so they're able to move uh, with a little bit more uh, agility and, and patience uh, that we didn't have. And you, you mentioned a lot of the big names on there, but crucially, it's not all Democrats on this committee. That's right. Uh, and, and actually, uh, the offer the speaker had made originally was for it to essentially be a commission that would have co-equal subpoena power, essentially, that, you know, Republicans and Democrats, if they agreed, it would take both parties to agree to have subpoena power. Unless Speaker Pelosi reverses course and seats all five Republicans, we will not participate. Republicans walked away from that deal. And really, uh, and so thankfully, Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney, who've shown integrity throughout the whole process, they stepped up and they are, uh, they're on the committee and, and Liz Cheney is even, even the vice chair. Yeah, so that prevents people being able to say, look, this is a partisan uh, effort, even though it isn't quite the bipartisan, and I know you using the word commission almost on sort of like the 9-11 commission, it's not quite that either, but it's not a wholly partisan thing because, as you say, there are those two uh, important Republican uh, Congress people there on that committee. Uh, so, and, and it's got time and it can, it can really pour over the evidence. The, it opened with this quite dramatic um, testimony from Capitol Hill police who described the day, the testimonies of four police officers, and we can just hear a moment of that. I was aware enough to recognize I was at risk of being stripped of and killed with my own firearm. I was electrocuted again and again and again with a taser. I'm sure I was screaming, but I don't think I could even hear my own voice. Well, since then, the committee had been quietly getting on with its work. But in recent days, it has come very much back into the news. Now, that's partly because of someone they wanted to talk to who wouldn't talk to them, the former chief strategist for Donald Trump, Steve Bannon. They issued a subpoena for him to come before the committee. He ignored that, refused to appear, claiming executive privilege, the principle which says it is confidential what a president says to his closest advisers. It happens to be that at the time Steve Bannon was no longer working for Donald Trump. Nevertheless, Bannon claiming executive privilege, refusing to appear before that committee. The committee and now the full House has voted that that makes Steve Bannon in contempt of Congress. And that charge moves to the Department of Justice, where they have to decide whether or not 
uh, to move to a prosecution. But also in the news because of reporting by Rolling Stone and others suggesting that what happened on January the 6th was planned, that there was a whole group of congressional aides who gathered together uh, planning the talk of the Willard Hotel being a command centre for operations on January the 6th, all designed to overturn that democratic election result. Uh, the Rolling Stone has spoken to uh, a couple of Congress people who've said that they themselves weren't involved. What, Congressman, do you make particularly of that reporting, uh, suggesting that a handful of congressional aides were involved behind the scenes in what we saw play out on January the 6th? There's more to learn there, and that's why it's so important for the commission to exist. But what is particularly alarming was an allegation in the Rolling Stone story uh, that Congressman Gosar was offering uh, rally organizers blanket pardons. And, you know, you don't need a, a pardon for peaceful demonstrations in the United States, that peaceful demonstrations are allowed. So if he was offering pardons, you know, it, it really raises the question of what was the conduct that was going to be pardoned? And, and so we know violence took place that day. We know the president leading up to that day and, and on that day used charge language that suggested that, you know, violence would have to be taken to stop the steal, as he called it. So what type of pardons were being considered and, and what were the roles of colleagues of mine uh, in doing that? And, and, and frankly, if anyone worked with the violent insurrectionist uh, that day, uh, they should be expelled from the body. All of this reporting in Rolling Stone, actually, they tried to make contact with Congressman Gosar. He was not available for comment. But their sources are these unnamed congressional advisers. And the one person they did manage to get on the record was Congressman Mo Brooks, who insisted that he had no involvement in uh, the events on January the 6th. He was tied up working on other things. But he said when uh, asked if any of his staff had been involved in planning the January the 6th rally, he said uh, he didn't know, but quite frankly, I'd be proud of them if they did help organise a First Amendment rally to protest voter fraud and election theft. So not exactly distancing himself from that. Yeah, uh, Mo Brooks, uh, plainly in his language on the 6th, was calling for violence and was prepared for violence in that he was wearing body armor uh, that day. And again, you know, is not backed off of the words uh, by giving his staff, you know, attaboys uh, and, you know, projecting pride to them uh, for any role they may have had. And, and, and that's in part why Mo Brooks is named in my lawsuit, and that's why this, the commission should do all they can to understand uh, what his or his staff's culpability was on that day. Let's say you are able to, or not you, but the, your colleagues are able to substantiate the various claims that have been out there and really point a very you know, well-evidenced finger, accusing finger, at members of Congress. What is the upshot of that? What accountability do you imagine being implemented if they, you know, the, these people are guilty, as you and many Democrats believe they are? Well, the public should know who was responsible for working with the mob 
on the six. Uh, so certainly for the sake of transparency and, and the sake of understanding, you know, one of the bloodiest days at the Capitol, uh, the public has a right to know that. And, and then if there were members that worked with violent insurrectionists, they should be held to account uh, for that. You know, we have a situation where January 6, 2025 could be just as deadly or worse. And, and so really understanding how we can inoculate ourselves from a day like that, uh, you know, in the future. What Republicans say uh, is that it's divisive to be going back over this ground and and that, you know, what, what matters to Americans now is COVID or jobs or the economy and uh, the Democrats are just engaged in some kind of partisan point scoring exercise. Shouldn't we all move on? With January 6th, we have done nothing in this country, uh, you know, other than arrest those who were responsible, which is you know, credit to the FBI for the work they've done to arrest hundreds of people. But as far as the principal actor who's responsible for January 6th, Donald Trump is still out telling lies about the election and inciting uh, and radicalizing Americans uh, who live in a country with almost unrestricted weaponry as it relates to, you know, access to firearms. So I'm, I do fear that, you know, the temperature is only getting hotter uh, and the risk for another day like that at our capital or any capital across the country is growing. Does it surprise you that most people, if you look at polls, believe that the body that you're a member of, the House of Representatives, will flip and move in a year's time from Democrats to Republicans? And that will obviously have a big impact on the investigation if it's still going on. But even just putting that to one side, the notion that Republicans, far from being held accountable, are not really paying a big price for this, that this investigation is rumbling on. And yet politically, it doesn't seem as if Republicans are paying much of a price for that. Yeah, Jonathan, if you're, if you're looking at history, uh, you would bet that the House is going to flip. Uh, but these are uh, times that are defying history. And I, I really do believe that when this party has become a pro-insurrection, anti-science uh, party in, in the midst of a pandemic and after the attack on the Capitol, uh, they have disconnected themselves from mainstream America. And that's why I'm not as concerned about losing the House. But if you were just looking at history uh, without January 6th, without a pandemic, sure, I think that case could be made. But uh, most Americans... I think, recognize these lies are, are literally killing us. Yeah, no, look, from your state of California, I also wouldn't be worried about the midterms or any other elections. Uh, I take your point that Democratic governors have been uh, recalled before, but broadly, that state is pretty blue. The worry is elsewhere in the country, and I, I think I don't many, think many people think uh, it's controversial to suggest that the House is likely to fall, which does suggest that nationally, Republicans haven't paid a price. Well, I, I would argue that, you know, they are uh, in public opinion. And, and look, we saw in California when they tried to recall the governor. Uh, and yes, California is a Democratic state. But in the last 20 years, a Democratic governor has been recalled in that Democratic state. Uh, and we had a pandemic and we had homelessness issues and wildfires. But the Republicans put up the most radical candidates who all went all in for Donald Trump, who all supported his belief about the 2020 election being stolen. And 
it wasn't even close. Uh, and that's because the voters saw that for whatever concerns they may have had about Newsom, they were absolutely not going to turn the keys of the state over to any Republicans who were spinning lies about the election. And, and I, I think the same is going to play out, you know, as we go into the midterms. Um, so we're talking about midterms. That brings us obviously to the point about timing. What is the timeline for this committee's investigation? When do you expect it to wrap up and conclude? And will it be, you know, in time before this, you know, before there's a new Congress seated? Again, you know, they're going to have to fight some of these individuals who refuse to show up and, and go through the subpoena process. And that'll take some time. But, you know, they are making progress. They, you know, they're in a number of depositions. I would imagine that before the midterms, because Again, the threat exists that Republicans would not accept the outcome of the midterms, that the commission, you know, wants to make sure that we're inoculated going in to the midterms. Congressman Eric Swalwell, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. My pleasure. And that is all from me for this week. For anyone who wants something completely different to listen to, Grace Dent is back with a second series of her amazing Guardian podcast, Comfort Eating, where she invites a famous guest to throw open the cupboard doors and reveal their favourite comfort foods. You can listen back to this week's episode with the one and only Stephen Fry. It is a terrific listen. But for now, it's goodbye. The producers this week were Danielle Stevens and Esther Apoku-Jenny. And I'm Jonathan Friedland. Please stay safe out there. And thanks, as always, for listening. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.